Welcome to MPO's AFL Sports Program. And we'll start off with uh, my torment for introduce everyone, and it could um, actually raise a bit of hell or boil some blood. My torment is directed at footballers in general that have to take liberties when, um, you know, they might tackle a guy in, inside their own 50 and get a shot on goal. And as they're getting the ball, they'll push the guy down or do silly things like that. I just don't see the point in it. I, I think the way to rub it into a player is to get back, kick the bloody goal, and then maybe do a bit of a over-celebration or something like that. I, I just don't see the point in players having to just rub rub it in or do something that I believe is not in the spirit of the game. And matter of fact, the Geelong game, I forgive their captain for the leg incident because I believe that could very well have been just not an awareness that the player's leg was there and they were tangled up. But I find it very hard to accept any excuse for the um, hand around the eyes, that sort side of things. I, I sort of agree with um, Mark Robinson that a fine's probably a bit light on, maybe one week, just so players know we're not going to um, allow this to happen, that sort of little bit of a little bit of a last dig at someone, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I just personally thought it was out of character even for young Joel. Um, and it's not a good look. I believe uh, if we go back to when um, Chris Judd was playing at Carlton and his pressure points, didn't that cost him a, a week or two? I reckon and, that was a chicken wing one that cost him about uh, yeah, three or four weeks. Win. Yep, yeah, it was. So anyway, my bit is we should move on. Like We shouldn't dwell on things like that that happen, but is a fine, is a fine the fair thing or should it have been a week? That's the question for me. I don't care which player does it, which club does it. I couldn't care less if it was a St Kilda player. I don't think anything with your hands around someone's eyes, face, in that situation is on at all. It doesn't matter who you are. Anyway, that's my torment for this episode. How are you going, Woody? I'm going well. I tend to agree with you on, on what you you said in your opening comments. I think the, um, the AFL want to get rid of all this off-the-ball stuff. Um, but a lot of that off the ball stuff, those little hits like the one from Toby Green on the weekend as well, yep. um, they're generally retribution for that niggle stuff at the bottom of packs. So if they want to get rid of that, they need to crack down on the stuff in the packs and you just do not yeah. put your hand near someone's face. It's that simple. Yeah. And just before we introduce Mel, as I said, I can forgive the leg thing because I really believe that was just clumsiness and not and no awareness and you know, legs locked in like this. Like you can really seriously believe the um the explanation given but uh, i just find it very hard to accept any explanation for the stuff around the face anyway um how are you going mel look i'm good but i'm really sick of this topic i i, I hear both your sentiments but the outrage has been ridiculous and i can't believe what are we on wednesday we're still talking about it I just think he didn't eye gouge, he didn't punch anyone. Yes, it wasn't a good look and he roughed someone up, Dale up, and, you know, he's put his hand up and he said it's a bad look and that the other incident 
with Duray was an accident. And I think it's just time we move on. He's an icon of the game, as everybody knows. We've seen it before um, in, you know, different generations of football. It's probably something we're not going to completely get rid of, but it seldom happens. So I just think that everyone needs to calm down um, and let's move on from it. It's been mm. the hate and vitriol that I've seen on social media towards Joel Selwood mm. has, on a personal level, been quite heartbreaking to read. But also it just seems a little bit over the top for mine. So I think we just move on and, um, yeah, let's look forward to this weekend. Yeah, look, um, I, I 100% get, I'm not into character assassinations and all that. I just think it becomes a discussion point when it is someone that's a big name in the game because um, quite often a lesser light, and it's seen across sport, across the board. NBA is a prime example. There's things that LeBron James will get away with doing and other players get sent off. You know what I mean? Like I do think... Um, not necessarily an AFL in that scenario, but I do think it stands out more when someone that's big in the game does something like that. And we know they're not the only people to do it. It's just it highlights it and creates the discussion. If it was um, first year Joe Blow, we probably wouldn't be talking about it, 100%. But yep. still, it still doesn't make it acceptable. I have a different kind of with suspensions and reports where I kind of believe that in the old days and... You know, I know we've moved on from that because of where we're so fixated on on the head. Um, but you know, I truly believe that suspensions and reports should be for off the ball incidents. Um, you know, elbows, intentional elbows to the head, punch, you know, intentional punches, eye gouging, spitting those sort of unsavoury acts. Now, I'm not saying that what Joel did was a good look for the kiddies. But he didn't do that. He didn't eye gouge. He didn't punch. I know a lot of people are saying that that's what he did. I've watched it a hundred times and that's not what he did. I'm not condoning that it's, a, that it's you know, a bad look for footy. Even he's put his hand up for that. But, I mean, the outrage has just been a bit ridiculous in my view. The, the biggest yeah. issue about it, irrespective of whether he got the eyes or not, the um, player is in a position where they probably can't protect their face and have someone put their hands around it when you, you, that's the biggest problem about it. But um, you're right, he, he didn't get the eyes, but he was yeah, in that area. Yeah, and and you've got a defenceless player. That's where it comes down to. So. <laughs> See, that's one thing I want to say. I want to merge two point, or one point each from, that you've made. So, um, <clears throat> Tim, you mentioned something about it being a high-profile player. Mm -hmm. And Mal mentioned um, about these sort of incidents seldom happening, all right? So I think, and as Mal said as well, he didn't eye gouge, he didn't do anything like that. However, he deliberately put his hand in his face. So given that it seldom happens, given it's a high-profile player, the AFL actually had perfect opportunity to make an example and say this is all on you put your hand near a face mm. of a defenseless player you will get a week mm. well they would have to change the rules to do that as i mean they might do that next year and change the rules but we've seen toby green do something more severe than that and he's got the same punishment he's yeah but we also we've also seen them change rules mid-year too 
Yeah, but not not MRO rules. So no, I think it gives them an opportunity I mean, though. So even if they do it, even if even if they do it, but to me, that's we're just getting a little bit soft. These sort of things. This is football. This was a game. This was such an important game between two top teams of the competition. They were going so hard at it, and there were a lot of incidences that went on during the day, niggles here and that sort of stuff. So it, it just it was in it was that kind of spirited game. I'm not condoning it, but I don't think I seriously don't think even if I saw it happen again next week from a anyone else i still don't think it's a suspendable offense i think it's you know a fine yes but the vitriol and the suspension that's all a bit over the top for mine but i might just be back in the 90s look my, my biggest issue is um it's not tough right a player that can't defend themselves and you go in the fa face or or like when they tackle when players tackle a person inside their own 50 you know the player just tackling's 50 and they get a shot, they have to push the player further into the ground when they grab the ball. That's not tough when the player can't defend themselves. That's not what we want in the game, in my opinion. But that was an elbow to the jaw, and he got absolutely nothing for it. So that's well, that, that's worse in but my that's mind. that's not reflective of this incident. That's reflective of the AFL in general because the inconsistency this year has been phenomenal. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, in in the identical situations, like that's. Uh, I think the key issue is what you said before, Tim, which was it's a high profile player from a high profile football club that's that's successful, and everyone's sick of that. So he has just copped a barrage on social media platforms, mm. on radio, etc. Um, that it's crazy that, as you say, if it was a first year player playing mm. for maybe Gold Coast or something like that, we wouldn't even be talking about it. They'd so, probably get the fine and they'd be probably one sentence at the bottom of the middle of the paper or something like that. Or yeah. That's, that's mm. the other thing too. You mentioned that um, yeah, Robbo said a fine's not good enough. Mm. Um, I don't think fines are good enough in any instance because the fines aren't big enough. <clears throat> that's right. What's, what, what is $1,500 to Joel Selwood? But then $1,500 to an AFLW player is a fortune. That's right. But what, what are you achieving by finding Joel Selwood $1,500? Like well, that wouldn't even be his match payment. He, he's not even going to care about that. If you're going to have fines, <clears throat> if you're going to have fines, they need to be a lot bigger. What would yeah. you have liked to have happened, boys? A week. If they wanted to set, make an you example. Tell me what and you would like. If, if what, you, if, what I would have liked is it not to happen, full stop. Take away the jumper. Take away Joel's What would you like to see happen? I, 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 I agree for a week. It was Joel, forget. Yep, I think a week's fair. You just you want to stamp it out. If you want to get rid of that niggle, um, you set the example and say, you do not put your hands near the face of a defenceless player. That It's just a no-go zone. Hmm. But do you think Toby Green, so do you think Toby Green? for his love tap, to get a suspension. Yep, it's an intentional strike. It's an intentional strike and it's about 50, 60 metres off the ball. As Tim said, like, that stuff's not tough. 
If you want to prove you're tough, go win a hard ball. You're getting soft in your old age. (laughs) If if these players want to prove they're tough, though, like running past and punching someone in. And Joel Selwood don't need to prove that they're tough. That's my point, though. That's exactly my point. Toby Green. Almost won the game for us. That's how important Joel Selwood is to Geelong Football Club. But no, everybody wants to just push him down, call him a flog, call him every name under the sun. But the guy is an absolute legend of our club, an icon of the game, and he nearly won the game for Geelong uh, on the weekend. And he's, you know, at a prime age where he's closer to retirement than not, and he's still playing tremendous football. And, and you know what? Every everything that you just said about Sal, Joel Salwood there, being tough, being a great player, being a champion of the club, being an icon of the game, all that sort of stuff, that's what annoys me about it more. I can understand if a crap player is going to do that stuff, but a player of Joel Salwood's caliber does not need, and experience, and standing in the game, does not need to be doing that sort of stuff. I'd expect that from a Steve Baker when he played. All right. Yeah. I don't expect that from Joel Selwood. I, w- I don't expect it from Nick Rewald. You know, there's there's a certain there's a certain level of player that unfortunately we put them there, but that's what we expect. Well, Bakes, he's a friend of mine, but what we what we've seen from Bakes in the past was you know unacceptable. Correct. It, it went beyond cheeky. Um, you know outside the laws of the game and he completely didn't get punished for it all the time, did he? No. I just think that, that this has been blown out of proportion. I, 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 I can't comment on it because I know everyone will go, yeah, of course you're going to say that, Mel, because it's mm. Joel Selwood and we all know how you feel about Joel Selwood. So I probably shouldn't even comment on this. But I just think it has got totally out of hand to the point of it's now an individual attack on the man. And yes, he had his he rolled his hand over um, Dale's face, and yes, he pushed his his hair head into the ground. But he didn't punch him. He didn't eye gouge. He's got his whack. And I just think that we can't look at that and go. That's all that Joel Selwood represents because it's not. And well, in the pl- I'll, I'll let so you wrong. I'll let you in a little secret. In the planning meeting, which obviously you weren't in at the time, I did mention that um, I was going to say something about that incident because I've, I've I've said time and time again to Woody in the past that I especially with guys like I said that they'll tackle the defender in their um, forward fifty and rub their face in that when they grab the ball. And that to me. I just don't see the point in it. Similar to this incident with Joel, uh, but I did say to but Woody. You're saying that this deserves a one-week suspension, but yet there's players that there's players that are punching, punching um, defenders that are punching a full forward in the back of the head intentionally, mm. and we've seen it clearly mm. it's with striking. several players. It pretty much happens every week. And that's a strike. That's suspendable. But it, but nobody's worrying about that. We're worrying about Joel Selwood because of who he is. And people mm. don't like him because they think he ducks when actually that's... Well, what thing. I was going to say... anyway... What I was going to say in the meeting... Yeah, but I'll just, just finish up. What I did say to uh, Woody in the meeting was 
that he's a he's a from all accounts he's a terrific person off the field, um, and that and no one would say he's a he's a not a not a good person on the field, but he's a terrific person away from the field. My um, father even got a photo of him in Brisbane or Gold Coast Airport a few years ago, and he was wonderful. Even though Dad's a Carlton supporter, and and that you can't fault him. But um, yeah, so it wasn't like what's happening on social media. It wasn't attack Joel. It was actually in general. That's the most recent example, along with um, Toby, about that stuff that I've been banging on about for ages on this podcast about, well, not necessarily this format, but when we had the full sports thing, I've been banging on about it regularly to Woody for ages about I just don't like that part of the game because, to me, it's not brave. But anyway, we'll move forward. We're on to Mel's... A lot of people don't like it, but it's been for everything. Yeah, but it only takes one or two suspensions and they stop it, so... And just one thing quickly as well. We talked about if it was a lesser player. I think if it's a lesser player, they probably do suspend. It's it's feasible. But anyway, Moving Mel will on. have a gripe now. Yeah, now, now it's Mel's minute of mayhem. Well, I think that was my gripe. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, look, guys, I, let's move away from that because I tell you what, it's been too much this week. So let's just... Mm. You know, let's hope he has a great game this weekend. Oh, look, and, and we, um, we at this so podcast do not um, believe in um, horrible name calling and bullying on social media whatsoever. And that if they've been doing that to Joel, that's wrong. It is completely, and I have been. Um, so moving on, I want to talk about our friends down south, Tasmania. Tasmania's ready. The AFL public are ready. Everyone's ready for a Tasmanian team except the AFL. <clears throat> Financially sound, the venue will be built, the plans have been drawn, the iconic, traditional, beautiful Tasmanian jumper is sorted, the prospectus has been done, and that prospectus proves that Tasmania is financially viable. GWS and Gold Coast Suns, they're been given staff, they've been given concessions, they've been given millions upon millions to join the AFL. They had no hoops to jump. They're basically a manufactured AFL club and therefore they're safe. And the AFL have given Tasmania nothing but hoops to jump through for decades, which they have met, and then the AFL give them further to jump. So now we wait yet again for Colin Carter's findings on the task force's findings, which the AFL have already read, by the way, and his recommendation from that and to be given to the AFL once again. So all this time, effort and drama, just to know whether a licence is possible, not a team, a licence. I believe this is insulting to the great state of Tasmania, to the great people of Tasmania and the greater football community. We saw on last weekend's game that locals don't care. They have no affection for North Melbourne or Hawthorne. It's time to get them out of Tasmania. They can pilfer their funds elsewhere. Let's make this happen. I've set up a petition called T23. It can be found online and I can share it on the MPO podcast page. Find it, sign it. We deserve a Tasmanian team in the Australian Football League. That's my name. Well, funny, funny you say that, um, Mel, for your minute of mayhem. Um, part of our discussion is um, the Gold Coast Suns, where to from here, which is next. 
and it was probably going to invite a discussion about Tasmania anyway because one of the things before we go down that path that I had suggested was they're struggling with, you know, people going to their games and their form, the lot. Why not move that licence to um, Tasmania and there's their licence. How much money have the <laughs> AFL pumped into Gold Coast? That's right. But when, when will they say? Okay, I think... Would you like me to go through this, boys? Yep. Well, because just, I have this in front You've of got me. the numbers. <clears throat> yep, I've got the numbers. Yep, All right, go so away. 2000, 2009, the AFL invested $10 million in $130 million upgrade of Carrara. 2010, the AFL invested $24 million between Gold Coast and GWS. 2011, Geelong's premiership year, AFL gave Gold Coast a $16.8 million funding package. Had to get that in, didn't you? $16.8 million funding package. 2012, they shared $19 million with GWS. They got $500,000 from Club Future Fund, so that's taken away from every other club, and $2.1 million listed as other. 2013, the Suns and GWS shared, you ready, a $20.2 million handout. And then the AFL reportedly paid 60% of Carmichael Hunt's $1 million a year salary from 2010 to 2014. Now, the extra help they've got, non-financial but just as imperative, 2009 priority access to the best 20, 20 17-year-old Queensland players, 2010 first five picks in the rookie draft, 2011, draft picks 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 26, 43, and $1 million extra, extra in the salary cap. 2012, 800,000 extra in the salary cap. 2013, 600,000 extra in the salary cap. 2014, 400,000 extra in the salary cap. And 2015, they operated like every other club. Thank you very much, GCS. So... I mean, I think we've moved on to our next topic of G, where GWS are at. But mm. you compare that money and transfer it to Tasmania and Tasmania would be the most viable, healthiest club right now and would all be enjoying it so much more yeah. than what we are well, with the Gold Coast Suns who are basically <coughs> not giving... And let, let's be brutally honest, um, two of the greatest Tasmanians ever to come out of um, there to play football in the AFL slash VFL, Daryl Bulldog and Ian Stewart. Enough said. Ian Stewart's probably the greatest cinnamon oh, to play the game. There's, there's hundreds of them that, you know, the mm. three... Royce I mean, Hart. Matthew Richardson. I mean, mm. you know... Beyond the talent, what scares me the most about Tasmania, when you go there, you see a lot of soccer grounds. You see a lot of kids playing soccer. Sometimes it's hard to see a kid walking around in an Essendon Guernsey or a Geelong Guernsey and just kicking a footy with Dad at the park. It's all soccer. And, you know, we're going to have the jumping jacks next season. Mm. And everyone, and, and so they should. The Tasmanians are going to get behind them because the NBL was smart enough mm. 
-hmm. to say, here's a market, and they've gone back to Tasmania. And I think that it's a blight on the AFL. I think the AFL should be ashamed of themselves. I think it's embarrassing. And I don't think they've got enough gumption to admit that they got this wrong. But well, they, 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 don't, they don't have it in them to swallow their pride and say they've got it right. But wouldn't they actually gain more credibility if they put their hand up and said, we got it wrong and moved them? Would, would fans have more Absolutely. respect for the AFL then? I think they would. Absolutely they would. And, and I'm glad you brought up you before, know, Mel, about the jumping jacks coming into the NBL. Well, they either got to do. No, go ahead, Mel. The great move. Yep. Well, they used to have the and Tassie Devils back in the old NBL days. Yep. They well, that's did. a thing. They're, they're getting an the NBL team. They've seen a hole in the market again and they've gone, right, let's get in before the AFL. And well, they've done well, that. That's just it because Tasmania, they're actually a big sporting state, aren't they? So, And they've been screaming out for a long time for their own team in a national competition. The NBL has beat everyone else to the jump. That's right. The NBL's, the NBL's been a step of hit everyone else. Look, there's no reason the A-League, as you said, there's kids playing soccer there all the time. Get an A-League team down there. Get a basketball team. Get a footy team. Well, one of a market for all of them. Well, one of Melbourne City's um, yeah, better um, young players... I was going to say, one of Melbourne City's better young oh. players is Nathaniel Atkinson, who came from Tasmania. So, like, you're right. They've got... Um, some good soccer players coming out of there. Well, that's the thing too. Without any or many, many um, t national competitions being down there, how much talent are we missing out on? Like, there's young kids playing these sports their their whole childhood, <clears throat> yeah. but then it's it's a market that no one's tapping. So, how much wasted talent is down there? I just think it's heartbreaking. Just the disrespect that the AFL give Tasmania and they fly down there what, once a year and they hand them a cheque for $100,000 and think they're the kings of the world and that everyone's going to pat their backs and say thanks for helping Tasmania. Where's $100,000 going to get Tasmania? I That's mean, right. give them some respect. <clears throat> this is a football state. A football state. I get that we need to build football in the north, but we don't need two teams in Queensland. Saturation, it's called. Gold Coast teams, even in rugby, they mm. don't work. So why did they think it would work in the AFL? So I I've guess, also done a, had a I look at um, Gold Coast <laughs> home and away record because they've, they've been in the competition since 2011 and haven't made finals once. But their record overall, and this was at the start of this season, I think, 56 wins, 170 losses and two draws. That is not viable. Well, it can't, it's not viable if it continues. Absolutely not. But, but where's the evidence the to suggest it's not going to continue? They haven't shown that they're going to buck no, the trend and change course. No, and that's what I'm saying is that the, how it won't change because this is another point I'd like to raise. Everybody says, yeah, but... What, who's going to want to play in Tasmania? Who's going to want to live in Tasmania? Who wants to live on the Gold Coast? It's sunny, beautiful beaches, all of that. And these kids are getting out as soon as their two-year deals are up. Where if, are you, 
if you send an 18 or 19 year old to the Gold Coast, are they going to be solely focused on footy? Surfing. Exactly right. The problem is too, and you can't, you can't build a solid supporter base there either because the Gold Coast Titans are up there in the NRL. They've struggled for a long time. There's been um, other other codes, other sporting organisations that have tried to have teams there. They've all failed. A-League had they a team have, up north. That's right. It Just every team that's gone up there has failed. So they, you don't ha- – it's, it's more of a touristy destination. It's a tourist holiday destination, so you're not getting yeah. a consistent population to get a solid fan base. It's going to fail. Stop pumping money into it. Admit defeat. All the money that they've pumped into Gold Coast, and Mel obviously did some numbers for us before, which was good, but the second part of my question was going to be, you put a team in Tassie, how much money do you need to keep pumping into them? None, because they'll be self-sufficient well, almost from day you. one. I don't know about you boys. But I've obviously looked at this Tasmanian issue. I'm on the task force. I've, I've, I'm, I'm working very closely with it. So I've watched it over the years. And I, I watch what happens when North Melbourne play there, when Hawthorne play there. And, you know, there's dribs and drabs of people. There's some cheers here and there. Most of the, of the people that come to watch Hawthorne play come from Victoria to watch Hawthorne play. Mm. The numbers don't stack up. In fact, they're losing money having these these two teams pilfering from them and that money being devised between Hawthorne, North Melbourne and, and the AFL. They get a kickback, don't you worry about that. So it's not working from Tasmania's end. So it's now time for Tasmania to be bullish and say, this isn't working for us, guys. We're losing money. We're losing junior football. We're, we're losing our development stream. We need to put that money that we're putting into you, North Melbourne and Hawthorne, into our own stocks. We need to put money aside for a new stadium. They've worked out how they're going to devise the two games for the for Launceston Hobart kind of situation. They've got it all worked out in this document. So Why don't you say that about the two Hobart and Launceston? Apparently, there was a significant difference in the crowd um, attending um, both days. I believe yeah. Launceston had better numbers than Hobart. Yeah. Well, the game, obviously, there's a bigger supporter base for Essendon down there. They mm-hmm. Tasmanians want to see the bigger clubs. You know, they, they get like what Geelong get at Kidinia Park, Gold Coast, Fremantle, you know. Mm. We get that at Geelong. We would love to have Richmond, Collingwood, you know, Hawthorne at Geelong. And Tasmania need that as well. But they don't have an affection for these two clubs that are there for pity games. They they don't have an affection. They want their own team. And when they have their own team, they'll have that affection. There'll be that emotional connection. And I can tell you that crowd that we saw on the weekend which warmed the cockles. I don't know about you, but I almost had tears watching that crowd. They loved every minute of that. Was that and the Launceston crowd? Yeah, the Hawthorne Essendon yeah, crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. They loved that. And could you just imagine if that was a Tasmanian jumper, that beautiful Tasmanian jumper running around representing their state? They would have people sitting on the roof to watch that game. They are 
frothing at the mouth for their own team and so they should be and they absolutely deserve it. So, and they have some of the best breweries and pubs in the whole country. Oh, it's it would it would make Tasmania come alive. <clears throat> I don't know how many people who bag Tasmania have actually been to Tasmania because it is beautiful. It's actually on my bucket list to um, tour the place. I've never been there. I know plenty of people that have, and no one's got a bad word to say about it. I've been there several times. I've spent three and a half months living there. It is gorgeous. Views everywhere. Beautiful food, markets. I mean, this is not a shitty place to live. This is a beautiful place to live, and it's an hour from Melbourne. Or 12 on the boat, but either way. Well, either way. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're a young kid and you've got drafted and, you, and you've got drafted to Tasmania from the mainland, it's an hour flight. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus so, if you get drafted I mean, over a WA. Yeah. Mm, no, I agree. I'll sum it up in a few words. If you build it, they will come. Exactly. Thank you, As, And I'm praying that this gets off the ground. And I know it's not going to happen next year. I know it probably won't happen for five plus years. But I just want the promise from the AFL, which we've been waiting for, I think, for eight years now, that, yes, it's going to happen. Just give us that promise. And then, like you say, we will build it and make it happen. In the words of Nike, just do it. You're listening to the MPO Sports Podcast. This podcast is edited on Audacity, and I'd like to thank Zaggy too for providing the music. I hope you're enjoying the AFL special, and now I'll bring it back to Tim, Aaron, and Mel. Just do it. All right. So, look, I, I think we've flirted enough with the Gold Coast. Obviously, there's major problems there. We've provided again. Yeah, we provided a solution. Send them, send that license to Tasmania because it's pointless well, having it too. That's not a solution, but I, I do believe that you know Gold Coast needs to be. They need They're, to put their hand up and admit a mistake. Wrong made. place, wrong time for them. I think. Yeah, refund us the money. Yep, <laughs> so or, or, or move that license, as I said, to Tasmania as a way of at least trying to recoup something out of it. Um, all right, the next topic. Teague out, who comes in is the question. Because I know there's a lot of Carlton supporters out there. They've been um, calling for Teague and others to uh, be shown the door. And I know um, one of our fellow panellists here has probably been singing that song quite regularly on social media, from what I've read on Twitter in particular. Uh, What are your thoughts, people? Well... Just quickly, Teague hasn't lost his job yet, everyone. No, we're, this is a hypothetical. Hypothetical. There is a review in place. He's 18 months into the contract. He suffered a big injury list. He does come across very quiet, or like he's almost shy or something. He doesn't stand for anything. You know, there's not that kind of, you know, I know everyone complains about Chris Scott and, and, um, Hardwick, but you know that kind of stand for something. If you get what I mean, he doesn't come across like that. But I don't know how he is with his players individually. He might be outstanding. I'm not in that inner circle. Um, but my problem with people 
not too bad. That <laughs> say, say, get rid of the coach, you know. The problem with Carlton is instability. They've, they've been unstable for a long, long time and their answer to everything is get rid of the coach, get rid of the coach, get rid of the coach. It looks like they're probably going to do it again. And I just wonder whether that's kind of like, the t- you know, the, the tail wagging sort of thing. Like are they being led by the players rather than the, the coaches and the leaders of the football club? It's almost like the players have more power than the powers that should have the power. So I just think be very careful, Carlton, because maybe he's not the man T, maybe he is, but just to go, let's sack another coach, it's just more instability. The great clubs, the Essendons in their day, um, Hawthorne in their day, you know, Geelong now, had their coaches for years and years. They've just kind of stuck with them. I mean, even Richmond stuck with Hardwick at, at, at a really awful time and it paid off for them in spades. So I just think you've got to be careful, Carlton, in what you do. And also, question, when's Worsfold arriving? Because wasn't he meant to be this big mentor to help support Teague? And he hasn't left Perth yet. So that's obviously not going to happen in 2021. We're looking at 2022 for Worsfold coming. What, what value is he going to be, though, really? Or they may be organising a deal where Worsfold's the one that's taking over completely. Jeez, I hope not. I'm just throwing things out there. He has been at Carlton as an assistant before, so he, he knows know, the inner workings. You can only bring in who's available and... I think we've also got a race going on at the moment. Yep. Between two powerhouse clubs, Collingwood and Carlton, are in a race at the moment. And I think that will sway Carlton's decision on how they go with this review because Collingwood are looking for a coach, whether they should be or not, but they are. Um, and I think Carlton wants to get in first and Collingwood wants to get in first. So we've got a real battle between those two powerhouse clubs. Well, and Collingwood could end up with another conundrum, which is why I've sort of got them listed to have a quick chat about who's, who's going to coach there. Let's say, hypothetically, Banger Harvey gets six or seven wins out of the last nine games. It's very hard not to um, think that he's the man for the job, even though you've got the Lions and those guys on the, um, you know, just out there waiting to angle themselves in potentially. I'm so interested in what you have to say, As. Well, I I know that Carlton have gone through this thing where they just sack the coach, sack the coach, sack the coach. But I think this time there's no question that that's what they need to do. Because if you look at a lot of the stuff that's been getting around the last couple of weeks, a lot of these... um, ex-players and coaches and whatever coming out and saying the players are selfish, that they're doing it, they don't seem to be playing for the coach. That If you watch a Carlton game, that seems to be true. Um, if the players aren't playing for the coach, then it's the wrong man at the helm. Now, the reason I think, one of the reasons that the players play selfish, and yes, I'm talking about Adam Sard and Zach Williams, um, they... They don't seem to have respect for the coach either. So they do what they want and they don't follow the game plan if there is one because they know there's no repercussions. You go, you look at 
you, you see one David Teague press conference, you've seen them all. It's the same thing. Oh, you know, we did this. We know we've got work to do. We know we're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. But it's the exact same thing that's being dished out week after week after week and nothing seems to change. And he doesn't seem to get fired up. You mentioned before, Mal, about Damien Hargwick and Chris Spot. I would love if David Teague showed 5% of the passion that those two blokes show. Passion in the box from a coach shows that he cares and shows that he's invested. And we do not see that from David Teague. If you've got a if you've got a passionate coach, that passion will rub off on the players. It rubs off on the staff. It rubs off on every single person that's there on game day. <coughs> the coach's attitude and the coach's demeanour is infectious in a footy club. So let me put this to you as your decision is set take. Yeah, I don't think what you need, and like I said before, the, the, the players just play like there's no no fear of retribution or repercussions from the coach. You need you need a coach that's going to have a bit of mongrel, a player that it seems to be that me that David T cares too much. That's right. Yes, um, he he seems to care about the players' feelings, and he wants everyone to be his friend. But it looks to me as if that's come at the expense of them respecting him. Okay, I I hear that. I hear that. I do respect that if Teague might be might have that outlook where he connects with players in a more sensitive one-on-one manner than what you see on game day. He certainly his strong suit is certainly not media press conferences. I think even he knows that, and he would admit that. My question is this: You've made a decision that Teague gets the sack. Yep. Buckley's been sacked. Now, I, my question, and I'm not being facetious, my question always is, because all I ever hear from Geelong supporters, if Chris Scott does one thing remotely questionable, is sack him, even though he's got the best record in the competition, um, is sack him. And my question always to them is, who at the moment is a better viable option to coach this football club than him. So, Alan Keller. <laughs> oh, he said Helen Keller. Okay. Oh, so, I just I just don't I personally never rated Teague myself even before he got in there. But And um, you know what? This is the thing that annoys me with him. He made a decision that he that he wants Teague sacked. We've got Buckley who sacked. So there's now two coaches <clears> yep. at the same time of year that are vacant. My question is who at the moment that's available. Would you like at Carlton Football Club? All right, I'll throw three names at you, but first I want to say one thing. The thing that annoys me most about David Teague is he seems to he doesn't seem to have that hard edge and that passion in the mm-hmm. coach's box, which is the exact opposite of the way he played. <clears throat> which is really, really frustrating because he you, was actually you, a brave player. He he was a hard nut on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to have that hard edge in the coach's box, which is very frustrating. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never looked at it that way, but it, that's very true and it is very interesting. And I wonder if it's just because he's he's in his infancy. Oh, it could be, but don't get me wrong. Like you, you seem, He does seem like a genuinely good bloke, oh, but that doesn't mean you're a good coach. Of course. 
But getting back to your question, I was just three names, and Tim knows who my number one candidate is because I've mentioned it plenty of times before. Michael Voss. Michael Voss walks into any change rooms at a footy club, they're going to respect him straight away. He didn't have success either, has. He didn't, but this is the thing, though. You can't judge him on that because, and it's not his fault. Brisbane were a mess back then. Lepich went up there and failed as well. <coughs> Sorry? Carlton a mess? Yes, they are. But the thing with Michael Voss is he hasn't coached at senior level for about 10 years now. He went straight from playing yeah. straight to the media, mm-hmm. straight into coaching. He did not do an apprenticeship. Now, he he's been... It was almost a Tim Watson scenario, wasn't it? Right. And so, but he, he's done that apprenticeship now. He's gone to a stable club... Um, a somewhat successful club or a, a, a club that's in the top echelons of teams in Port Adelaide. And let I would, I would suggest we all rate Ken Hinckley as a coach. So he's learning from someone credible. Mm-hmm. And he's been at Port Adelaide almost as long as Hinckley has, I think. Um, and so a little bit of their success has to be because of his influence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you would imagine that he's got a hard edge about him and he's not going to be scared to give a spray when it's needed. Um, Another name on my list um, who's another failed coach, but again, he's gone back to a very, very successful club. And I think Mel might agree with me that this is a successful club. Um, Matthew Knights. I think he would be a very good coach second time around. Look, he's wonderful and he's... um, Talking about having a connection with one on one with players, he he would be the best at it. I absolutely think for an un, un you know, well not untried, it has a short stint, but um, for someone who's been away from that senior position for a long time, I'm not against that. Does, does he want to do it though? That's the question. But I think Carlton would be derelict in their duties not to sound him out if they push Teague out the door. You'd have to look at those two blokes mm-hmm. for a start. Mm-hmm. And who who's, who's the third one again? Um, this is a little bit left field. Oh, it's me. Uh, okay, I'll have four people on my list. No, you, you can be number four now. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a bloke that's... Um, been a successful coach at AFL level before, but he hasn't, I don't think it's been 17 years since he's coached at AFL level and he's been at Port Melbourne um, for 17 of those Gary years. And I, that had is this, I had this Gary guy Ayers. down for um, Collingwood. Go ahead. Gary Ayres would be a fantastic <laughs> coach, I think. You look at what he's done at Port Melbourne in the VFL. They've been a standalone club. Now, the last however long in the VFL, ever since the AFL clubs have had their affiliation, they pretty much ruined the standalone clubs, except for Port Melbourne. Mm-hmm. They've been a powerhouse before the AFL affiliation, mm-hmm. and they've gone through the VFL without an AFL-affiliated club and still been a powerhouse. Yeah. And that's because of Gary Ayers. And from all accounts, I actually know a bloke who... <laughs> I actually know a bloke that um, played at Port Melbourne. Um, it's a while ago now, maybe eight or nine years ago. He played, I think, two seasons there um, under Gary Ayers. And he says, Gary Ayers is a bloke that does not give a shit about your feelings when he's giving you a spray. Yeah, when, you, when you do something wrong, when you do something wrong, 
he will give you a spray. He will not take it personally, though. He won't say, you're weak as piss, blah, blah, blah. He will say that effort was not good enough. I did hear an interview with him um, recently, well, not too long ago, uh, on radio, where he was asked, you know, would you be interested in that sort of thing uh, in an AFL gig? And he kind of said, look, you know, I that he feels that he's now part of the furniture and he's part of of the ethos of, of Port Melbourne. Um, but he would always take a phone call, but he's never got a phone call. And that's surprising. It's kind of like, why? I wonder why a club has never called Gary Ayres. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, it's very strange that they haven't because you look, as I said, look, I don't want to keep harping on it, but... You look what he's done at Port Melbourne. He obviously knows what he's doing and he knows how to get the best out of his list. Um, but we've got we've gone through this thing in the AFL probably the last 10 or 12 years, I think now, where as soon as a coach gets sacked once, he's blacklisted, it seems. Like, um, yeah, you get sacked and then all of a sudden, well, he can't be considered for a job ever again, it seems that way. And it's, it's very strange to me because we go back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, a lot of coaches were better at their second club, weren't they? True. And and look, if you went on that theory once they sacked once, Jose Mourinho would have only had one job. No, in, that's right. But you just you know? it it seems to me, and it, it it looks like you look worldwide as well, NBA, NFL, um, over in Europe and the sort of stuff. Um, Clubs recycle managers and coaches all the time mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success. But over here in the AFL, even the NRL are happy to do it. But for some reason in the AFL, the clubs have this this um, ethos, it seems, that all right, he's been sacked once. He definitely cannot coach. Yeah, the problem it's very is... very strange to me. It's probably supply and demand. Um, the demand is not high because you've only got 18 head jobs. Right, eighteen head coach <laughs> jobs. Sorry, that's um, a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a Freudian slip of the head one. Um, so yeah, my point is you've got eighteen head coach positions, right? And let's be honest, the supply is greater by a mile than the actual positions of. Oh, no doubt. But there, there are three guys that would top my list anyway, mm. and I've given the reasons why, and hopefully, I made sense. I think I just wanted to know: uh, Did you want him to go? And and that's super clear that you do. But I, that's the thing, though, Mal, and I think it's a good point that you raised. There's a lot of people that will say, all right, sack the coach, sack the coach. But they don't say who will replace him or who out there is better or could yeah, do a better job. I really hate. But um, I feel like I've, I've at least made some sense there. And everyone's entitled to an opinion like that, but have a rationale for your opinion. Don't just yeah. jump at sack the coach. And at least you've got a rationale. I just reckon it's the most simplistic argument in the world, like, oh, just sack the coach. Well, okay, but there's a lot to be taken into consideration. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than that. You're right. And one thing too, like you said, you know, Carlton are going through a review and, you know, they seem to sack the coach, sack the coach. Well, maybe we need a review of the people that keep hiring these seemingly dud exactly. coaches. Spot on. And that's what I'm getting to. And we're, we're leading into talking about Greenwood, which I will talk about exactly that, um, where there's, there's more important, I shouldn't say more important people, but there's other integral people within the business of a football club that should be, that are behind the scenes that should be looked at before the front man because it's not always on him. 
Um, but what concerns me about Carlton, as I said at the top, was that, you know, they're always sacking the coach and I'm not quite sure whether that's that's the right precedent to send to the players. Yeah, but as we've said, it's one thing to sack the coach. It's another thing to get the next bloke that's better. And that's, let's look at Carlton's last four, five, six coaches. They don't, they, they haven't got a better one, have they? They, they sack one and then they seem to get a worse one. Well, the problem was they, they got two well-credentialed coaches that were beyond their years. That was the and problem. And that's, that's another thing too. So we went and got Dennis Pagan. He was a high-profile name available. We went and got Mick Malthouse, high-profile <laughs> name available. Neither of them worked. Neither of them worked. And that's why I'm very, very tentative um, and a little bit um, scared that they might appoint Ross Lyon. Um, well, it's Ross failed twice. We've failed doing that thing twice. Why do it a third time? I think the only way, the only reason they would contact Ross Lyon is because Collingwood will probably contact Ross Lyon. And I think this is, as I said before, is a little bit of a race right now. Yep. And in the scheme of things, you know, whenever whenever a coaching position becomes available, of course, we talk about Clarkson, then we talk about Lyon, then we talk about Ruse. It's always the same kind of names that get circulated. Now, um, Clarkson has emphatically ruled himself out. Um, what else is he going to say right now mid-season? Well, I believe him. I mean... Oh, look, I do too, but like... When, when he gets asked in the media, oh, would you consider a job somewhere else? And nobody does. But, and I'm, look, I'm not Clarkson's biggest fan with how he has a lot of power over rule changes and things like that. But he's pretty emphatic that he's going to stay at Hawthorne. He's contracted and he's going to see that out. I can't, I just, I can't see that changing. I think he's achieved everything he's wanted to in football. And I just don't see him leaving leaving a sound, successful, on-and-off-the-field club like Hawthorne to start again in his twilight to rebuild a football club and take them out of the depths of despair. Yeah, but the other thing, too, to consider with that, which is correct, I'll agree with you on that, but the other thing is um, he comes across as a side of bloke that's got a massive ego and to feed his ego, does he need to go and do that again at another club to prove to himself that he can no, do it? because he may fail. But that's the thing. Like, with, with a big ego, you've got to push aside that fear of failure. I, I think okay. we're overlooking, too, that um, if Clarkson goes before his time, it'll be because Kennett pushes him. That's my opinion. I mean, my... I- my opinion is he's he's emphatically said he's not leaving Hawthorne. I believe he's not, and I actually believe that he he's got Hawthorne on the right track at the moment. I know that's that's um, will be criticised that I that I say that, but you know when mm. you look at their list and you look at the position that Hawthorne are in at the at the moment, they're in a strong rebuild. I actually think he is on the right track. I can see what he's doing. Um, so. I don't think he's going anywhere. And let's believe, let's for for the sake of this podcast, believe him that he's not available because yeah. he said he's not. So I, I still believe the most powerful man at Hawthorne's Kennet, and if he pushes <coughs> him, he pushes him. So that's the thing. Like, let's be honest. Like, I'm I'm happy to to take Clarkson on his word and at face value. But what else is he going to say mid season, mid contract? He's not mm. going to say at a press conference tomorrow. Oh, you know, Collingwood's vacant. You 
going to, he's not going to say, oh, I'm going to answer their call or listen to their offer, is he? Of course he's going to say, I'm committed to Hawthorne, I'm contracted, <clears throat> all that sort of stuff. It was, I think it was just the way he express, expressed himself with the question and it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, um, he seemed peeved off about it. He was kind of like, yeah. oh, every time there's a coaching job brought up, I'm, you know, I'm always questioned. And I don't know why. But he's so, not hes not stupid enough to come across as blindsided by that stuff too. He knows how the media works. So he's yeah. hes hes too smart to, to fall for that trap if they want to try and throw that question in. Okay, so then would you take him if, if he wanted to leave Hawthorne and go to Carlton, which I doubt? No, I wouldn't. I, I don't rate him as highly as everyone else. So I, um, I'd, I'd give him a miss. Mm. All right, well, with the Carlton discussion, let's go to Collingwood. Now, I did sort of say, I put out the hypothetical just before, which I jumped the gun. Right, let, we, We've got a habit, too, uh, of seeing um, interim coaches um, do a reasonable job and get the job and fail or, you know, if things fall apart. Um, my question is, Banger Harvey's taking over as of this week, game number one, Right. Let's say out of the nine games remaining, he was to win six or seven of them. Does is he a realistic chance of maintaining the job as the permanent coach, or will they still look outside? And who will they look for? I think they'll do both. I think they will still look outside, <laughs> even if he did happen to win the next what is it, eleven weeks or so. Um, they will. They have to do their due diligence and and look outside. However. We're not in the inner sanctum of the Collingwood Football Club. We don't know how Harvey coaches. We don't know his relationship with players and other staff. They've, you know, I read in um, online that they've changed their, you know, their um, assistant coaches to completely different positions. One's going to the forward line, the other's going to the back line now. So. Um, they've already implemented some strong changes there with their assistants. Uh, I think they've got to give Harvey the chance. He's definitely got to be given the chance to prove himself, which he has. So he's got he's got these weeks to prove himself. But I think if I was a member of Collingwood, I would want them to do their due diligence and also go outside of the club and. And, and I think. They will. And you mentioned before where, you know, there's a race if, if Carlton decide to go in a different direction to Teague, they're in a, in a race with Collingwood. Um, and that if, if they just, you know, went and jumped at Ross Lyon just to stop Collingwood from, from getting him um, and don't go through the proper process, um, that's a sign of a very weak football club. Yeah. And I think Collingwood are too stable and too well run to jump the gun and do that. Whereas um, I'm I've not. Don't have the confidence in Carlton to not do it. I've got to disagree with you there. I don't think Collingwood are a well-led club at all. I think they're an absolute mess. I would go as far as to say that they're negligent. Um, I believe that Nathan's sacking was harsh. Unpopular opinion, I know. Um, it seems led by a board afraid of an EGM. Uh, they lost. Great Collingwood people in Eddie and now Buckley. 
I just feel like a bit of the heart and soul has been ripped away from Collingwood with losing those two figures. I'm sure Buckley will be sorted out. He'll go to Channel 7, media. he'll, you know, he'll excel at that as well. Um, but I'm just not sure that this whole do better report and, you know, hiring people onto their board that aren't even members, not allowing their full member component to vote. It, it's a complete rabble and a complete insult to Collingwood members. Now, I know that there's a huge number of Collingwood members that are relieved and ecstatic that Buckley's not coaching anymore. But again, I ask the same question. Who's better? Who's available right now that can coach the Collingwood Football Club and do a better job than Buckley? Because let's be honest, he didn't do that bad a job. He was 30 seconds away from a premiership a couple of years ago. So I think we just need to, to be careful that maybe Collingwood did didn't make the right decision. Maybe it was maybe it was a little bit rushed. And whether that's got to do with the AGM, whether that's got to do with um, with Carlton, or whether that's got to do with the signature push from members, I don't know. But there's just there's a bad taste about it. And I also feel that. Collingwood were playing a lot of youngsters, which is what everybody was asking Collingwood to do. And then when they did it and they were losing, everyone's like, I'll sack the coach. And it's kind of like, well, hang on, he's doing what you wanted him to do. You wanted him to play the kids, he is. They're losing because they're playing kids. So, But they were still very competitive. So I think I feel that sacking was a little bit harsh. But I don't... No Nathan anymore personally. I have worked with him before, but I didn't. I, I don't know him personally closely anymore. Maybe he was over it himself, and it was fairly mutual. But I think again, Collingwood have made a decision to sack their coach, and now the question still needs to be answered: Who is a better available option for Collingwood right now? And if you if you throw up Lyon, which everyone is and everyone has, I'm not sure that he's the best fit for Collingwood because the fans and the board, everyone seems to be against that defensive mm-hmm. kind of football. That defensive Collingwood football. fans expect a different style, don't they? Exactly. And even it, it would seem that part of the board's reason was that they didn't like Collingwood, uh, sorry, Buckley's, um, you know, game plan, which was defensive footy. So we know what Lion brings. And that's defensive footy. So I don't know that Lyon's the best choice for Collingwood Football Club. I actually think he's a better fit for, for Carlton. Don't be silly. <laughs> um, the question I don't I... think Sam Mitchell's ready. No. Um, and Gary Ayres, as you mentioned, yes, he's another one that I had written down for Collingwood. But um, I, just, I just kind of feel like could they regret this decision? Well... They've pl- tried to play it out like um, Buckley left on his own accord, haven't they? Yeah. That's the way they've advertised in the media or the way they did it at the pr- press conference, wasn't it? He may have well done because 
He's had a bit going on in his private life, like his marriage broke down. and There's been a fair bit going on, you're right, in his private life. And, mm. and also, you know, um, he's always had that support from Eddie. Um, he's gone. And, you know, the board seems a little, shall I say, corrupt in the way that they're handling things at the moment. Um, I don't think, I definitely don't think Corda's the right person. <laughs> For the role, having listened to a few one-on-one interviews with him, um, and also just the kick in the face of you know having board members that you know wear footscray jumpers and aren't members, and then your members can't vote. I know, I know, one hundred and ten percent that if Geelong didn't allow me to vote, I would be changing the constitution in a heartbeat. So I just, I, I just don't know whether it was the right decision. But anyway, they've made the decision and let's see who they get now that's actually better than Nathan Buckley because I would say there's some clubs that would have their eyes on Buckley at the moment. Certainly in some capacity, whether it be yeah, a head coach or, or come in as a as a part of the, you know, the playing, um, the coaching group or something. Yeah, absolutely. I would say he's already taken about 10 calls. I would put money on it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've tackled enough Collingwood for this evening. Um, Our final discussion point is the top eight predictions. Now, I I guess the predictions is more about discussing who's in the eight. Are they going to stay? Do you see them changing their position in the eight? Um, Because my personal opinion is the eight doesn't change. I, I think it's, I think it's just, too hard for the teams outside the eight the way the season's been going to sneak in. Um, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's um, probably going to be a very brief conversation, this one. I think um, Melbourne and Bulldogs and Geelong are probably locks for top four. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Did, did Brisbane or Port Adelaide take that fourth spot? Who knows? Does Brisbane or Port Adelaide, do they both need to finish in the top four to win the flag? Or could one of them win it from outside the top four? Um, I expect that um, the top eight probably will stay the same as it is. But if someone's going to drop out, I would suggest it's probably Sydney. Um, And then we're just waiting on Richmond to make a run as well, aren't we? And we just know that, you know, maybe sides like Brisbane, Port Adelaide and West Coast definitely need a top four berth um, if they're a chance to make the grand final or win the flag. But um, Richmond can win it from eighth, can't they? But just saying about the um, top four versus bottom four of the eight, um, if we end up in another scenario where, who knows, we can't predict COVID, it may be irrelevant where you finish. No, that's right. But you'd still rather finish in the top four than outside, oh, but even, get, even just yeah. for that second chance. Yeah. But yeah. more, as I said, though, like I can see Sydney potentially dropping out of the eight. But the problem with that um, that um, scenario is I can't actually see anyone outside the top eight worthy of jumping in there. Do you not um, think that GWS is on the improve? I think they are, but that draw might really come back to bite them. Yeah. They might really rue that that those two drop points against um, North Melbourne. Um, but yeah, if anyone's going to jump in, it would be GWS for Sydney. Um, but yeah, I don't think anyone else is really a show. So I had I kind of had the same the same scenario that you know 
Sydney and Azerbaijan knows I'm the biggest fan of their process. And their coach? And their coach, I really am, is the Ripper. But I, um, I think that, you know, they've got a lot of young talent and whether they can be consistent through that phase. Um, Especially coming into the back half of the year. Yeah. And like I think I said last time as well, I don't see them winning more than maybe two games of their after the bye. So, and I still stand by that. As you said, they've got a talented list, but it's a young list, and we know that um, those young lists tend to fade away come the back half of the year. Look, I agree with that. But having said that, if they stayed in the eight, they would, they would, it wouldn't surprise me, and they definitely deserve to. So, I do believe though that. The majority of the eight is pretty much settled, and I and I would think and kind of hope that the top four would be what it is. Maybe the positions may change slightly, so maybe it would be Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane, Bulldog finish. Yeah, maybe Geelong can get a home final. Oh. <laughs> Boys, I thought we were trying to wrap up the show. Yeah, we... we, we uh, yeah, let's, please, let's not go there. We, we know... Let we that know, one go through to the keeper, Mel. Yeah, we, we know, in fairness and respectful, we know on past um, Mel's opinion on that. And, look, it's it's a fair opinion to have, being yeah, that that's their home ground. I was going to sort of um, dangle the carrot and say, well, we could always give them a home final in Tasmania, which we might help Tasmanian <laughs> football, but um, that's just Ooh. a bit of banter. Let's get um, back on track, eh? Yeah, um, we'll keep it on track. And the other part of the question is, who do you see as um, potential flag favourites out of that eight that we've discussed? Um, I'll just put in my point. I've still got a big question mark over the Melbourne Football Club. I hope for their supporters, their game holds up in finals football. I just, my, my rationale is I think sometimes there's going to be a bit more of a grind in finals football. I think they're quite a skillful, flashy team. I don't know if that holds up in a grind. And I don't believe they've been consistently tested for me to have confidence that they can deliver in the finals. That's definitely fair. For me, I would suggest, I'm not, not going to say who I think will win it, whatever, but I'd say, I'll tell you what I think would make a great grand final is um, Port Adelaide and Bulldogs. And I think let's not rule those two teams out. I actually, um, something you said in a message the other day, um, I actually think it could be Bulldogs and um, Geelong in the final, yeah. grand final. And if they do what they did last week... It'll be a cracker. It um, won't be a disappointment, will it? What are your thoughts, Mel? Um, look, it's hard. You know, it's obviously hard because the listeners out there will go, well, of course she's going to say as well. Well, it is what it is. But you know um, what? You know what? You're entitled and to say that. If, if, if it was St Kilda or it was Carlton, <coughs> me and Tim would be doing exactly the same thing. Look, the heart says Geelong, but the heart will always say Geelong. When, you, when your team's been that consistently good for so long, of course you're going to have faith in them, and of course you're going to make them in. But I would say, I just want to add one more thing. I think we're actually in a good spot this year because I think there's actually even this this part of the season, there's six genuine chances to at least make the grand final, and that's Melbourne, Bulldogs, Geelong, Brisbane, Port Adelaide and Richmond. And I don't think that we've been this deep into a season where we've had that many genuine chances. Yeah, look, I think um, 
finals, I say it every year, it comes down to luck, <clears throat> luck and injuries. That's, that's what it's yep. about at this point. You've got to stay healthy, and we've already lost a golden boot. We've lost Mitch Duncan, which maybe people don't realise how important he is. He is the most underrated <clears throat> player of the last decade. He's the, besides Tom Stewart at this point, um, he is pretty much one of their most important players that Geelong could have lost and we just did. And so it's just heart-wrenching from from her, um, from someone who's so close to the club to see that happen. So I just I just hope and I hope that the football public hope as well that he gets back for finals because he would be a great addition for finals. He's just got it. Um, but, look, my heart says Geelong, but my head also says Geelong. It is not impossible for us. If we're, if we're healthy, then I can't see why we couldn't win it, um, even without a home final, which we won't get, of course. Um, I still think that we're a viable option. And call me biased, call me whatever you will, it's not out of the realms of possibility. Um, but I also, I also think Melbourne is so very even across every line. They play a very great connection game. Um, they're very. Um, they run in. They run in twos, completely supportive of each other. They have great communication around their midfield. They're they're getting an absolute brute of a man, Viney, coming back into their side, which will only strengthen <clears throat> the hardness that Melbourne probably need. That you were talking about, Tim. Yeah. Um, but as they say. You'll have to go through Richmond to win that. But can can Melbourne do it when it matters though? And that's the big that's question. That's the question mark. mark I've got as well. And yeah. I, I, that's fair too. I don't think even the the most staunch of Melbourne supporters, it doesn't matter how much of a brave face they want to put on. Let's be I think that is a genuine question mark and a genuine fear that they're going to have until that we're proven otherwise. Let's be honest, the most staunch of Melbourne supporters will be the least, <laughs> the least, have the least confidence in Melbourne in this final series. Yeah. I would say I, I have faith in Melbourne at the moment because I just think they're so even from forward through the spine to the back line and th now throwing Viney in, which is a massive addition yeah. to his ball. Um, so I have faith in Melbourne. I think that they're players that haven't that have been a bit wishy washy in the past, a little bit inconsistent here or there. They've definitely found consistency this year. Clayton Oliver, Petrarca, even Harms has come back from injury. Oh, Harms has been so good this year. And um, a bloke that was on the outer at the start of the year, Tom McDonald. Tom McDonald, Salem. Um, oh, I forget the. The little new little winger's name, but he's he's James a, Jordan. Yeah, absolute cracker. Langdon's there as well. I meant Langdon. Um, no, they've definitely got it. They've they've got the continuity, and I it's at the MCG. They've got a lot of home games leading or games at the MCG leading in. So to Richmond. Um, so look, no, I'm bullish on Melbourne. I think they can win a flag this year. Um, I yeah, as I said, I think it'll be the long heart and head and and or Melbourne. But the the, the talent 
and the ability isn't the question for Melbourne. It's it's upstairs for them, isn't it? When the pressure's on, can they stand up in the big moments? Well, you look at Richmond, right? They've been the yardstick for God knows how long now. Um, but they know how to just hack the ball forward. Like they know how to grind out a game in finals. Yeah. So like, the that's thing... my question mark of Melbourne. Do they have that in them? And, and well, they've shown us previously that they've failed in those big moments. But one thing I want to add, and this goes back to Mel saying that, you know, head and heart are both with Geelong. <clears throat> and it goes for Richmond as well. Um, and there's been a lot of talk previously the last however long that losing is a habit and Carlton don't know how to win because they're just so used to losing. Winning is very much a habit as well. Geelong and Richmond are the two teams that know how to win more than anyone else. They do it time and time again. How many times have we seen Geelong win games that they probably shouldn't have or they weren't the best team, but they just find a way? And that's what matters in September. Tommy Hawkins was, was saying... Um, we're saying going up today to Brisbane that he's played in 10 and Joel's played in 11 um, after the siren wins. I mean, it's unheard of. Because but they just find a way. It's Winning is a habit. Winning is a habit. People always, like, you know, um, a lot of people, and I can understand Footscray people being really upset and look, the table's... The tables will turn. It happened to us against Sydney earlier in the year. Um, you know, these, these games happen and they're either heartbreaking or they're exhilarating, depending on which end you're on it. But with Geelong winning so many games like that, it's not a coincidence anymore. You know, we train for this. Yep. And, you know, um, I heard uh, a Bulldogs player being interviewed and he said, we're going to learn from this. We're going to learn from Joel's tap-on. We know we can do that ourselves now the next time we're in a position like that and we'll train that into our game so, you know, we can actually learn those things. So good clubs already know that, like the Richmonds and, you know, even Brisbane. I mean, I think, like you said before, Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane, Bulldogs, Richmond um, and Port are capable of winning a flag. I think Richmond are obviously in a different position this year because they, they may not finish, you know, that kind of top four position, but chances are they're going to get a home final as they do. But their so, prime movers are another year older too, which may start to um, be may. a factor. And yeah. I mean, you know, if they're, if they're healthy, which they always seem to be, um, I just, I still think that, you know, like you said before, they could bloody win the thing from apes. They've, mm. they've, you know, we're all over it, but, you know, they they don't even have to play their best football to get into a grand final and then just turn it on for four quarters. Well, that's the thing. If they, if they get, if they get um, West Coast or Sydney or GWS, for example, week one of the finals, yeah. they, they don't need to get out of second gear to beat those teams. Exactly. exactly. And look, don't underestimate the Bulldogs because I believe they've got the best player in the competition currently yeah. and he has a huge influence. I don't underestimate them, but um, and I know they've got a couple really important players to come back. Um, the Law's made a huge difference to them when he's on the park too. Yeah, no, they, 
look, they, they impress me. <clears throat> I've watched the game, obviously, like I do. I've watched the game back um, quite a bit and I watch every game anyway. And they're a super impressive team. But I guess my question might <clears throat> be a similar one to what you have over Melbourne, mm. which is, you know, do they have that mental fortitude? They're young. They're still young when you think about it. Um, but they've still got a lot of guys there from 2016 <coughs> as well. Mm. And they got yeah. the bond. <laughs> yeah, they've got the bond. Um, and, and the bond is a great leader. Like, he's, a, he's oh, been he's really good. Leader. Yes. Leader. The thing is, though, they're sitting second. And they've still got Trelaw and Dunkley to come back in at some point potentially. Yeah, exactly, and that and and you can see that they've actually missed that run. Um, My only question mark on the Bulldogs is their back line against you know a decent power forward yeah. in finals. That's my only my only. Um, do concern. do they have someone to um to go with someone like Tom Hawkins, who's that big strong? forward who can beat you and maybe not so much in the lead up role but in those one-on-one contested possessions do they have that that brute that can go with hawkins highly doubt it i don't think they do i don't know i don't know if the four quarters no but <coughs> you know coach, coaching can be very strategic um these days so i'm sure they can find a way to to curtail that um i i think yeah, they're definitely a contender, but they're a weaker contender for me than those than Melbourne or Richmond. See, the only Achilles heel I see for your mob, um, Mel, and I, I think it's it's been that for a couple of years, is the ruck department. Uh, now, call me wrong if you don't agree, but I think that's where the Bulldogs, if they're going to beat, say, a Geelong in finals, they'll be dependent on their ruck duo, which is what, English and who's the other chap? Martin, Stephen Martin. Martin. Stephen Martin. If they can give a really solid midfield that the Bulldogs have first use of the ball, that might curve a lot of the problems with um, the defenders having to deal with the Hawkins and those sort of guys if they're getting the first use of the ball. That's the way I see they could possibly beat Geelong in a final, but it's got to happen. It's all right to say that's how they might. They've got to be able to do it. But um, that's the advantage I'll see. They're super quick around the ball, so it, you know even if they when they hit out, you know they're very they play very um, contested footy and they're also very quick. So and they're not good at manning up with thirty seconds to go. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not not the best at it. No, I still think Richmond. Unfortunately, we've all got to get through them. Yep. Yeah, uh, look, I, I agree, but I just hope that, you know... And if someone knocks them out, <laughs> mm. I think a lot of us will, uh, ears will prick up and go, oh, where are That's the thing. Let's let's assume that yeah. Richmond don't make the top four. If they if they lose in week one of the finals, then um, every other club gets a little bit more excited about their chances, don't That's they? Absolutely correct. They certainly do. Well, I think we've um, discussed enough for this episode. Um, I, I hate to push it, but I've got two children. I've got school tomorrow. They've got to go to bed. And um, it is now 11 p.m. on the 23rd of June, just for our listeners. So they've got a bit of an idea of when we were discussing this. I'd like to go to bed too. Yeah. <laughs> and look, um, and just for all the cricket fans out there, the current score is six for 147. Um, India are 115 runs in front and there's two people I know of when I look at in the mirror and um, Woody 
that um, are riding this home for a draw. So um, let's all barrack for India to bat out the rest of the day. There's 62 overs left as well, so strap yourselves in. Oh, look, if, if <clears throat> India can get another 35, well, 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 yeah, another 35 or more, I think the draw is safe. But anyway, that's hey, not boy, football. Nice chatting, I'm going to go watch the cricket. <laughs> All right. So, so um, anyway, I'll say um, that we'd like to thank Josh Watson in advance for doing the editing, which yeah. he will get a lovely little email. And he will utilise Zaggy 2's music for our intros and the break and all that sort of stuff in the outro. So goodbye, Woody, and goodbye, Mel. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Take care. Bye.